Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today on Everyday Theology, we have the second part of a two-part podcast with Mark Bird. It's been an incredible conversation. If you haven't listened to the first part, I would suggest going and listening to that one. Otherwise, let's go ahead and dive right in. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Yeah, man. I, I mean, that that would be great if you and if you need s- some more stuff. The only thing that I I was gonna like say was b- about the foundation of of the work is canonic, and I I look back on that now and I just realized that there's this kenosis on my part, even the self emptying. This this uh, that's basically what a lot of our music is. I, we're emptying ourselves out, and then it's emptying into the listener, and 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 it's. It's like this really beautiful um, act of participation, um, and and I do love that our first record was called Canotic because I do feel like that that kind of can sum up the whole thing about our music. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I and again, I love it because it's those one of those words that you just have to know, right? Like you just yeah. otherwise it just seems like that's a cool CD name. <laughs> Do you, do you know how many times that uh, reviews listed as kinetic? Oh, are you serious? No. Oh man, so many times. I can't. I mean, they just just. I mean, kinetic. You know, and I get it. I mean, that's way more uh, familiar than kinetic. Oh yeah. Well, the, the blog that I run, a part of Everyday Theology, it's it's Ecclesium. I mean, I know it was a hard word, and it was probably looking back, it was a dumb decision to call it yeah. Ecclesium. No, no, no. But like everyone's like, oh, ec- Ecclesium, right? And I'm like, no, I'm sure. Yeah, that's fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, i read i read one of yours uh uh i think it was on kenosis you yeah i mean i know you quoted jürgen moltman and i that's i told uh i think were you the one that wrote that i don't i i don't we've had like over 200 posts on there now so we've we've been going kind of strong for about five years so i don't okay uh, i couldn't remember but possibly i think you I think i think i mean I, I thought i saw your name but but um Anyway, when I just glanced through them, I, I, I called back my manager. I said, I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> you have no idea how much of a compliment that is. Because <laughs> I was, I, you know, you get nervous about this. I mean, I know for me, it's just, you know, to speak openly about faith. And, um, and it's not that I, that, I mean, if it comes up organically, I do, but, but, to go with intention and with the, with the sole purpose of doing that, um, you know, I need it to be in the right space, you know, and, 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 um, and this was, this was great. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's fed my soul, you know, I feel nurtured. Yeah. Yeah. I literally was thinking that as I was walking to that meeting that I was late for, I was like that, that conversation. And, you know, I know you mentioned it in our conversation before, um, you know, even though I am at a seminary, 
I mean, kind of, right? It's a university with a, I'm, I teach mainly in the undergrad because I'm finishing my PhD, but we also have a graduate school here. But, you know, as much as you would think, I don't get to have that kind of conversation as often as you might assume. Um, yeah. And especially depending on the, the circles you're in, I can't be as free to talk about the things that I want to be for fear of even just being misunderstood. Uh, exactly, man. Exactly. And there's something different when you actually can have that conversation without any fear of being misunderstood. Or even if you are misunderstood, it's not a negative misunderstanding. It's just, uh, can you clarify that? Because I'm trying to understand. Exactly. Um, and it's just different. It's Those are the most beautiful conversations for me. And I think I think that is exactly it. It's the language game. And it's and and I, you know, with my own family, I struggle with that because just the basic language that sometimes I will use language that for me is more grand, right? It's, it's grander. It's, it's trying to encompass more idea. And, uh, you know, I get yelled at. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. It, it is, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And cause I can just tell when I'm doing it because they look like they're, they're astounded. They're just not following <laughs> at all, you know? And, 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 and I don't even realize that I'm doing it when I'm doing it. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. And it's something I have to be careful about here, but that's mainly cause I work with undergrad students. So I'll use that language and they just, it's just right over their head. Like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a step yeah. back again. Like, uh, even God, even just talking about the suffering of God is a concept that just blows their mind. But you know, the trends are strange. 20 years ago, I am not, I'm not that old. So like, let's just say 10 years ago, I've been teaching here for seven, um, 10 years ago, even when I was a student here, what, 15 years ago, um, you would ask if God suffers, everyone would say, no, no, God doesn't suffer. Mm -hmm. How can God suffer? But now when I go into class, I'm like, Hey, does God suffer with you? And does he understand your suffering? Everyone's like, yeah, of course he does. And I'm like, but how do you not understand this con this bigger concept? Right. Like somehow that theology has seeped through, but in ways they can't understand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I completely agree. Hey, um, I was going to ask you, have you heard of that book beauty by John O'Donohue? No, I haven't, but I'm going to look it up now. It is, it is some of, and, and there there's on sounds true, which, you know, is like, I don't know, new agey kind of, but they have stuff with Thomas Keating and John O'Donohue. Who's a, he's a, he was, he's, he's passed on, but He's uh, awarded a PhD in philosophical theology, and um, basically, I think he he was a Catholic priest. But he wrote a book on beauty, and there's also a series of talks on it. But um, oh, University of Tubingen! So you know he's yeah. stupid smart if you went there. He yeah. is, and you can tell. But man, what he writes about beauty—you know—you almost feel like, um, and he is. I mean, he, there's a romance to it, you know, and that 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 idealism and romanticism, you know. Um, I, I would prefer that over cynicism any day, but he, but what he writes about beauty is just, it, it, it is no, yeah, really, really beautiful. I forgot. I think, you know, the name sounds so familiar. It's probably one of those people that I've run across, read something. I'm like, that's great. And then just forgot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was the book that you suggested? Cause I was trying to remember um, it. Um, Mormons inhabiting the cruciform God. It's good. It's it. It'll be a good Lent reading for me. Um, it's he, he has a couple that I really I, I use his stuff for hermeneutics when I'm like teaching students how to like do.
do basic hermeneutics to start before we ever get into postmodernism or (laughs) anything like that. (laughs) Just like, let's have a real good baseline to start. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but I use a lot of his stuff because I think he's just a very authentic reader of the text and that really, and, and he's such an authentic reader to the point of like, this isn't, I'm not telling you the truth. I'm just telling you what I'm finding type of thing. Um, well, I, I, I was so happy to hear you use theosis and divinization. I mean, man, I was just like, Oh God, thank you. Cause, uh, I mean, man, that, that's, that's where I am right now. And, and, um, and I mean, I've, I've read a, a, a book called divinization in, in the Catholic tradition on it and, and it's beautiful, but you know, there's, there's some things just from the Orthodox church that just, you know, the, the beauty of it is, is just so, um, life enhancing, you know? And, and, um, I wish that I could, I wish that it was like, God, I just, I just wish that, that every, all these everybody could come together and we could like have this one great thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) where where there's liturgy and there's spontaneity and there's the, I mean, just, you know, just because the, these divisions we have are, are like, how long are we going to have them? You know, I I need to find it because there might be a book that you about theosis. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I'm like looking at my bookshelf now. Um, Ah, it's going to bug me that I don't, I'll, maybe when I email you later, I'll email you the book too, but there's, there's, okay, cause I, I have a few on, on well, there's it. There's one um, that was really interesting because it was, um, have you ever heard of the Minerme school? No. So it, they're rereading Luther and okay. they're finding like, they're like reading Luther and going, this actually sounds so much more theotic than, uh, anyone would have ever thought luther to be than lutherans <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, and there was another one by a guy named belly Ma- belly mati karkainen um that he does a book on justification and theosis um and it was really good he's kind of a pentecostal right so we have this like society for pentecostal studies um that meets every year and so a lot of these kind of uh, it's super academic, bunch of people, bunch of nerds with papers telling everyone else their other papers, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Monty's there quite often and he's written quite a bit on salvation and he's, a he is a, he's not really a constructive or systematic theologian. He's more of an ecumenical theologian. So he's just grabbing everybody and then kind of doing that thing. If we take everyone, you know, to a limited sense, all these different traditions and we kind of put them all together. Here's what we might find. Um, wow. And that's, that's beautiful. Cause you know, the thing is, is that it, 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 it they all have truth, you know, and, and it's just where the emphasis is put. And, and uh, gosh, I just, I, I, I hunger for unity, <laughs> you know, I wish we had unity. I, and I, I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> but I'll be I'll be honest with you. I I don't think that I could go uh back. Not I won't say even back. I don't like the word back. I don't think I could return to uh a non-liturgical type of worship. Um it's just the liturgy has become so yeah, enriching for me and 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 studying like you know the early 
you know, I, I, there was a book called Orthodox Worship, and it kind of talks about you know temple mysticism and temple liturgy and and the formation of liturgy out of that, and and it's just amazing how. Uh, how liturgical the early early church was. <laughs> you I'm, I'm know? assuming you've probably read the Orthodox Way by Elisa yeah, Clare. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you would have <laughs> given your uh, everything you've been discussing. But I, you know, it, my wedding. So I just got married in December. Um, Congratulations. Um, I, I, my my friend who's an Anglican priest, he's the one who did our wedding, and we wanted an Anglican wedding. And because of that exact lit- liturgical thing, like there's beauty yes. found in that liturgy that is mm-hmm. lost in more modern liturgies or, you know, Western style, big church liturgy. Cause it is a liturgy. Yes. It's just that they don't like to call it that. Right. Um, but so, yeah, it, he's, he's a dear friend of mine. He's now the president of um, London school of theology Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, great. It's kind of crazy. My wedding was the last thing he did in the States before him and his wife flew over there. And like, we try to be very intentional too. Like his wife did the homily. Like we we're like, we, yeah, we don't just want you, Mark. We want your wife to do something too. Uh, that's awesome. But that's why we did it. And just yeah. because they're, cause I'm connected to that too. Like there's something about even just a liturgical moment of, of taking time in communion and, and isn't that what it's all about? I mean, you know, that, that's something we didn't get into. Just, just the idea of, of, you know, being as communion. Um, that that great book and and the union and communion of things. And yes, there's the communion of of taking in Christ, and you know, and 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 the reality. You know, I, my prayer after every time I partake of the Eucharist is, you know, may I may I be the Christ that I receive and grow further into, yeah. you know, mystical union. And and man. Hey, last thing, have have you heard of this guy, uh, Luigi Giussani? Yes, um, but I don't remember why. Giussani, that's just such a – it's hitting me, but remind me. He he wrote The, the Religious Sense, and um, and then he wrote – oh, the, the Foundation of Early Christian Beliefs. Um, and then, or the, or Christian faith. And then, and then there's uh why, why the church and these three together, you know, when I find anybody, which is rare that, that, that wants to explore Christianity and not start with, you know, the Josh McDowell, um, you know, whatever evidential kind of things, um, <laughs> the, this, this, these, these, this series of books, especially the book, religious sense, he just awakens you to what's actually happening when we're in, when we're engaged in reality. Um, and I just, I just love him. I just, I, you know, he's, he's passed on, but, but uh, I know, I know the I'm, name I'm, now. I'm just hoping that his influence grows because, um, and there's another Orthodox theo- uh, philosopher really that I can't remember his name. Um, hard to pronounce. Those are two guys that I'm reading right now that I just, I'm just, uh, you know, it's 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 opening up things for me as to as far as to how to talk to people. Is it Vladimir Lossky? Because, because that would make me so happy. Oh, I love okay. Vladimir Lossky. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but it's not Lossky. It's um, I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, it's it's heavy duty stuff. Um, I know. I know. Actually, I remember the name uh, Luigi Giussani now, and this is so bougie that I'm going to say this, but it's because I was just in Milan. 
uh, for our honeymoon. And we were at the Duomo, which is the cathedral there, which he did stuff at. Yeah, okay. So that's why I'm like, I was running across some of this stuff and going to different um, libraries. And his stuff is all over the place because he was such a big influence for the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, This guy is, it's, the, it's kind of a, a St. Vladimir Seminary, I think, just released this kind of compilation of his writings, but it's Metaphysics as a Personal Adventure, and his name is Christos uh, Yanaris. I can't remember, Y-A-N-N-A-R-A-S, and um, not near as well known as Luigi, but um, kind of similar, like like they both wanted to relate with the youth and... and um, and and somehow start almost like a youth movement by by like finding finding a way to frame the Christian faith in, in a presentable way yeah. of, of and I don't mean like you know what I mean I don't mean like let's hip it up and make it cool but you know <laughs> <laughs> which but I can't stand not? that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah anyway uh, no that that looks great I'll definitely actually I'm gonna grab that one too because especially if it has anything to do with metaphysics right like this chapter. This stupid chapter of my PhD is now over uh, 20,000 words, and it's one chapter (laughs) out of an 80,000 word (laughs) PhD. And part of it's because I get into metaphysics and and moving from a Logos Christology to a Spirit Christology and how metaphysics kind of helps us best picture that Spirit Christology. Um, Mm. And so I'm calling it, you know, I'm I'm not coming up with a new metaphysic. I'm using other other people, including one of the professors here, uh, his name is Chris Green, who's written some good stuff uh, to do that. So, but this looks great. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna get this today. Well, it's it's you know it's a little. I mean, I'm, my understanding is a little controversial, but um, Ooh, it, there's, there's <laughs> his, his yeah his classic work though is has morality in it, and and that that is something that also Saint Vladimir uh, Press put out. Um, uh, Morality is something. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm curious to see what you think about it. But, um, man, um, I uh, I really ha- appreciate this time, and it, and it's it's been a lot. Oh, I do too. And I, as you said, you don't if you don't get that conversation too frequently, and you want to have those conversations, you always have someone to have that conversation with. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's great. That's good. I mean, you know, a dream of mine sometime is to have like our work written about from a theological standpoint. And and I, I know another guy, Ryan Burleson, who is a really good writer and he's written, you know, for the New York Times and others. But, um, you know, he's he's kind of like familiar with Thomas Merton, but that's about as far as, you know, it goes. But um, there's just a part of me that sometimes it's always curious about what a theologian would think about our, our work, especially since it's wordless. I just am always curious. You know, you know? It's, it's interesting that you say that because it's not beyond the realm of possibility for that kind of theological uh, interpretation or lens to be placed on something. I have a friend of mine who I'm going to see and I'm staying with while I go out the conference this year is in, um, uh, well, it's South of LA. So I don't know that area uh, very well, but, but Stephen Felix, he wrote a book. He's written multiple books now, and he he did his PhD in aesthetics. And mm. while I am a bad friend in that, I haven't read his 
book. He's written a couple now, and one of them was on uh, the prophetic cry of rock and roll. Um, mm. And he's he does more with music in that way as well. Um, so I'm going to actually, I'll, I'll actually probably bring that up to him when I see him here next month and just say, what does a project like this look like? He's at a place called Life Pacific University now. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, because I mean, I've, I've, I've been in a couple of books where, you know, I was quoted, Charlie Peacock wrote a book about theology years ago and, and music and, um, but, but like, it's, I, I've just always seen it more like even the professor of worship at Reformed Theological Seminary sent me a book years ago um, to read. And, you know, that one, no, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it that much, but <laughs> oh, I appreciated no, really? him thinking of me, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but, but anyway, um, I just, you know, like, like, I'm just curious, like, like what, is that a possibility what that even look like or, or, you know, um, cause I certainly am not like, uh, uh, I don't have a, a grandiose idea of anything about the work that I do. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, Mozart and Hammock are worlds apart, you know what I mean? The, the, the uh, Mozart's timeless and, and, and we attempt to be that, but, and our, our, our work motto and, and mission statement is beauty is timeless. And, and, and I know beauty can be subjective to a certain extent too, but I am just always curious uh, to, you know, cause there is like such a theological framework around our music that, that you're honestly the first person that I've talked to that's picked up on it. Well, again, that's a huge compliment, but I feel like more people need to pick up on that. Like, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, you can talk about Schleiermacher and this feeling of total dependence and that feeling that comes with the music and how that kind of, uh, I could go in a thousand different ways, whether you talk about Hegel or Schleiermacher, not really Kant because, you know, screw no. Kant, but <laughs> yeah, that's, I, amen. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, it, it's, it's. Yeah, that's definitely something that I think his book is called just if you're ever interested. Um, and, and like I said, I can't say I'm all in the, on it because I haven't really read it. I just know he did it and because his Ph.D. was on Pentecostal aesthetics because um, he's Pentecostal. So, I mean, a lot of the people in my circle are Pentecostals, um, but it's a phil- it's a philosophy of art and aesthetics. And he did the books called with God on our side towards a transformational theology of rock and roll. And, um, he does that. He talks about some of the chapters are rock in the kingdom of God, the wisdom of folk rock, the prophetic screams of heavy metal. Like he just kind of like looks at rock mm. from this very theological lens, um, and aesthetic lens together. Um, and I'm just going to bring it up to him anyways on when I'm there, I'm just be like, how, how would I do it? Cause that's a different realm, right? Like that's a different kind of theology than I do, but it's not beyond the scope by any means. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming, I mean, to me, like, like when you talk about aesthetics and, and you're a theologian, I, I, I mean, I'm assuming he read Balthazar. Oh, for sure. Or, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. And I, I, what I love about Balthazar is that he just, you know, he's like, you can't start with truth anymore. You're already going to piss people off and, <laughs> and we must start with beauty, you know? And, yeah. and, and that makes a lot of sense if, if you're going to go that route with the, the good, the beautiful and the true. And, 
I do believe that that's that's much more of a of a a great way to have a dialogue as opposed to let me tell you what the truth is, you know, and and um, but I, I found I've you know what the thing about von Balthasar is that there's there's a music musicality to his work because he was he and Bart both were just madly in love with Mozart, you know, and I'll be honest, with you, one of the best books I've read on Bart was by Balthasar. Hmm. I, I don't. I and he, really he made that. Bart not born, <laughs> which is very hard to do. Very, very hard to do. Um, that's kind of you know something different. I'm doing in my PhD where I'm trying to embed uh, all three of those things, which which what I might call you know in the way that I'm doing it is uh, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthopathy, right? So. You know, yeah. doctor and practice and, and emotions or the, the emotive part of the person. And um, which some people sometimes can kind of move into truth, beauty, goodness. And for me, and this is the kind of Tillichian in me, is actually to remove the starting point from any three, uh, mm. but to actually start the starting point at relationality with the spirit. Uh, mm. And then in a panentheistic sense. On top of that, I love that. Which I love which that. Then, what does that do in relation to the way that we believe, or even what we see as beauty, or truth, or goodness, um, and what actually truly makes it beautiful? Because um, aesthetics, right? We're going to be like, how do we define beauty, and let's move towards that. Yep. That yeah yeah. And yep, my yep. definition, at least as I'm kind of, I probably wouldn't put this in my PhD, but the way that I could see my framework working is to say, well, actually, beauty is given the sense of beauty because it's beauty in the spirit. And that doesn't have to be uh, a churchy phrase of like, well, that must mean only worship music is beautiful. No, it means that things that are truly beauty are things that participate with the spirit. And the spirit gives it the quality of beauty. And that's, it's, it's, almost, it's, I don't want to say almost Bart because it's not, you know, it's like, it's like all these mm-hmm. things that other theologians have tried to grasp with, whether it's Schleiermacher or Bart with this very transcendental, you know, God down theology of doctrine. It's, it's always like, it has to start and end in God, but then how do we participate? And that's always been the sticky point. And yes. I'm, and I'm yeah. trying to overcome that participation boundary. I love it. I mean, I love it. Uh, that participatory, you know, um, that idea of salvation and, and, and participating in the life of God and, and the, Pan and panentheistic understanding um, has really utterly changed my life, you know, yeah. over over a period of years. Um, and a fun person that I'm having a, a podcast with um, a little like in the coming weeks um, that you may or may not be familiar with, familiar with, but you might really like his work is Tom Ord. Um, Tom Ord. He is a, what you consider an open and relational theologian. Okay, so he's the openness of God, kind yeah, of, kind of in that yeah. realm. He even wrote a book recently called "God Can't." Oh, I think I may have seen that when I was maybe Amazon suggested it to me or something. This, this idea of how God can't um, overcome suffering, and and right. because of God's openness to the created order. Um, so th- that might be interesting too. But yeah, he's got some interesting, interesting work. Man, uh, I have to listen for that. Um, yeah, well, man, um, 
beautiful stuff. And um, be sure and email me what colors you want. And um, I've already got that book in my Amazon cart. And um, at, that looks like I've got so many things I'm going to attempt to read for Lent <laughs> that yeah. that I'm shooting myself in the foot already. Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's uh, a perennial problem for people who love to learn, right? Uh, that's like my, my, life, my, my you know, bookshelf behind me. Like I've probably read a third of the books and I keep buying more that uh, you, you should, you man, uh, you know, it, it is scary. The lot that my library that I have and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and honestly, man, you know, there's some books that I just get drawn to and devour. And then there's others that like, um, as I go through the table of contents, I find a chapter and it's like, Oh my God. Yes. And then I go to the rest of it. And I'm like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. Um, and then there's certain but, books, but it was worth buying the book for that one chapter. And there's a part of me. It's just like, no, I want to own this. I need to have <laughs> this in my life because at some point I will reference this in five years, you know, and, and it's constantly what I do. I, there's some books that I thought about getting rid of 10 years ago that I'm so glad I didn't because, and my wife doesn't understand. She's always like, well, I, you know, can't you, and I am going to get rid of some, but we're going to build, we're like, we, we got this little mountain, um, piece of land that's right on the bluff and we're, we're going to build in the future. And, and, you know, I've got to have built in bookshelves and all that. And oh, she yeah. just, she, she just cannot wait for, uh, there to be a bigger room to store my books. Cause she's just had to slowly accept over a 20 year marriage that I'm not getting rid of. Them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my wife, my wife doesn't understand how lucky she is right now that my office is big enough to hold those books. <laughs> but if there ever came a time, it doesn't. <laughs> The whole our office and the and the, the house is going to be swamped. But I do have a I do yeah. have a secret bookshelf. I say secret. The very bottom of my bookshelf is all the books that are destined to be given away, and it's all you know Geisler and Erickson and oh. LL and all these kind of reformed theologians. And I'm like, Whoa. man, I, when I gave away my reformed stuff like a few years ago. I almost felt guilty because I'm like, what minds am I going to poison with this stuff? <laughs> Actually, it's so funny you say that's the exact reason I haven't given them away. That's <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Uh, well, and I was just, I'm just curious myself. So are you Pentecostal? I am, yeah. And, and what is your, what is your church service like? Oh, uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting i think because i i don't go very often mm -hmm. and, okay. and it's more there's a church out in um uh tampa so it's about an hour away from me and i love it to death and the guy um he he's a musician himself who's the pastor his name is tommy phillips um and he uh is it's such an amazing pastor and it's not pentecostal um, but it's actually CMA. It's a Christian missionary Alliance, even though he's not really like, it's, it's one of those things, right? Like he's CMA because he's ordained by somebody as it is. And he engages with the domination, right. but it is the the service is contemplative. It's very, yeah. um, like sometimes your music is played during communion. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, they, they do communion every single Sunday, um, yes, yes, and yes, every, yes. And every single Sunday, it's just openness of space of, and it's a participatory communion too. So like there's somebody holding the bread and 
the juice and you go up and you tear and you dip and you don't do the, uh, the maybe more Anglican sipping, but you know, it's tear and dip and, um, and no loud music. I mean, yeah, there's, it's loud music, but it's not like full band. There's no lights. There's no smoke. There's no, you know what I mean? Oh, the, it's yeah, a, yeah. like, I hear people singing when we're singing songs together. And to me, that's so important. Cause I don't like going to a church when everyone's singing and all you hear is the speakers. Uh, yeah. because how is that communal? I like, if I'm not, I, 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 I'm with you, man. If I'm not engaging with the people next to me and singing together, yep. then it's really just me singing and the music's drowning me out. You know, the music's yep. just loud enough to where the person next to me can't hear me and I can't hear them. And that's fine. Um, yep. so I appreciate a church where I go, where you hear people singing and it's amazing mm-hmm. to actually know what it does to your faith when you hear other people singing with you, not just seeing mm-hmm. it, but actually hear it happen. Um, mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So, and and the only reason why I don't go there every Sunday, I would. It's just such a drive for us uh, to get there. So, it's yeah. it's a church that I actually speak at quite often um, as well. Okay, it's just whenever they I, ask me to. I was just curious, you know, because I mean, you know. Um, uh, I mean, you know, this might be too personal, but do you speak in tongues? Oh yeah. No, that I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I don't do it that often, but I still find myself like when my nephew died, like I just, you know, it's like poured out of me, yeah. you know? And yeah. I was kind of like surprised by it. Like, Whoa, dude, what's up? You know? Um, oh, I am, I am still very Pentecostal. Okay. But when okay. I say I'm very Pentecostal, I think that's such a loaded term. Because, you know, it comes yeah. with the holy rollers and the uh, hallelujahs and amens. And the, you oh, know. well, that's the Pentecostals I grew up with because it, at where I grew up there, the Assembly of God and the Pentecostals would have like heated, you know, oh, arguments. Yeah. And de- it's no, no, crazy, it's, it's definitely know? it's what I grew up with, too, because I grew up Church of God, Cleveland. So very much that same thing. Um, but when I say Pentecostal. I guess in the academy, it's a little bit different nowadays to say Pentecostal and it's the commitments that we hold to what the spirit is doing within the world and how the spirit acts within the world, um, which defines us, I think a bit more because it's a question that even when I go to the society for Pentecostal studies, it's the question they're always asking, what is Pentecostal? Because nowadays everyone's got vibrancy in worship, you know, and, and it may not be rolling around in the aisles. Like I remember growing up as a kid. Yeah. But there's still that vibrancy of worship. So what actually defines us and so much of kind of, I think, academic Pentecostal thought is this, this foundational element of the spirit. There's, yeah, you can still talk about the fivefold gospel, right? So the full gospel, um, but the full, even the full gospel is how does that re- relate with the spirit? So one of our very Pentecostal scholars, amazing guys named Frank Lockyer, just published the book that Jesus, the spirit baptizer, um, which is, you know, part of the fivefold or full gospel is Jesus is the spirit baptizer. But what does that actually mean? Um, yeah, that's kind of foundational. And this is a very, like, it's a spirit Christology text, which is why I'm really kind of reading a lot of it. But, um, so very much when I say like, I'm, I'm Pentecostal, I am Pentecostal. It just doesn't necessarily mean what it meant in the nineties for me. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and 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 I I, I kind of picked up on that because you know I drive through Little Rock and I have some friends that you know 
um, that I respect that are still Pentecostal, but they're, they're, you know, they're, they're thinkers and they're smart. And, and you're right. That has changed. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm just, there's a part of me, you know, that, that I used to be so bitter about the way I was raised, but, um, I, I, I don't like to use this language, but maybe it's true. It's just growing up that way kind of made me sensitive to the spirit in a way, I yeah. guess, you know, it, it like, like, like you just, it, there's this openness to it. And, um, and I, and I'm forever grateful for that because, uh, you don't realize it at the time, but like some of those things that were happening are mystical experiences, you know, yep. and, and, and you're, and you're just, you you know, and, and so I grew up with that openness and, and, but then I also grew up with, with the idea that as I got older, I just thought, wow, man, I mean, I guess if you get the spirit, it just makes you act like an idiot, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, and you end up losing, you know, and because that is literally what I, I did grow up with, like just the running around and, you know, just, I mean, and my, my sister went to Jimmy Swaggart's oh. college the year, the, <laughs> oh, the year that he got busted. Oh, no. Yes. And so, you know, when I say that I was around it, I mean, you know, she's older than me, but, but I just, you know, was like, okay, so when the spirit gets in you, this is how you're supposed to act. And you end up for me, at least I imitated that. And, and, um, and even though I know that some of it was kind of like, um, I, don't, I don't like the, you know, herd instinct kind of thing or, or just the imitation of it because I wanted to fit in. Some of it was real and authentic. And, and, and I'm grateful for that because uh, when I go to the Episcopal church, you know, when it's very, you know, I go to two different ones, one's high church and the other one, my buddy that I'm meeting with tomorrow, um, it's a little more of a mix. Um, but, you know, when I go to the high church thing, I just kind of, you know, I still think about the way I was raised and, and, and I miss some of that openness, yeah, you know, I think you would really like, I love the fact that we just keep saying, Hey, read this book, uh, yeah. a book called, it's a bit more academic in nature, but I think you'll resonate with it a lot is, um, Pentecostalism as a Christian mystic tradition by Daniel Costello. Um, really? Yeah. And it's, it was, eye-opening for me because it started giving me language for what I think I've always felt. And it kind of created that space again of what, what does it mean to actually be people of the spirit? Um, and he is, he's a great guy. Uh, he's actually going to be one of the readers of my PhD now. Um, meaning judging me on whether I should pass or not. Uh, and this wow. is a great, this is a great book. He's done, a, he's done a couple little books like pneumatology, a guide for the perplexed. He's done a couple like, uh, pneumatological or Pentecostal books, but this one really, I think give, get, it gave me language for how it can say like, I'm a Pentecostal and I resonate with mysticism. Uh, that's, that's great, man. Um, I'm looking at, at, <clears throat> some of the the write-ups that yeah wow okay that's awesome okay i'm gonna check this it out it really did give me that like language that i like so much so like i literally facetimed him you know right after reading it and being like will you please read my phd <laughs> will you do this for me and uh uh like make sure i'm also kind of working in this tradition because this is it this is what i've always felt but have never been able to express. 
That's fantastic because you know what I, it, it really is strange. Whenever I, I, you know, because Richard Rohr is so popular and 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 a lot of people are like discovering an openness to mysticism. And, I, and don't get me wrong, I've been to a couple of conferences. I do men's work, um, but but uh, it's just a it, it always amazes me that that people that were in mainline Protestantism or just general Catholicism. Uh, like, like they, it's like they were shut down to these experiential types of things. And, and to me, it just like, I, it just, that, that never was shocking to me at all. That, 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 that's not something new to me because I grew up in that. And, and as a result, I had both a, a, a distrust of it, but also an appreciation for it. And now that I'm older, um, I'm, I'm grateful that there is an experiential part of it because, uh, I can't tell you how many, like, like I've, I'm, I am currently studying a lot of Catholicism and, and now that I read it from where I am right now, I'm like, wow, this is rich and beautiful. And then so many of my friends who grew up Catholic just think it's just, they don't, they don't experience that at all because they didn't have an experiential part yeah. of it. They just, yeah. it was just cold, you know? And, 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 um, and, and so I'm grateful for that, think, you know? Yeah. You know, you know <laughs> This, you know, the book, like the five love languages, of course, if you grew up in the yes. church at all, you knew that book, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the dumb question, what's your love language, right? Uh, <laughs> which we're all yeah. guilty of. So it's kind of making fun of ourselves. But, um, but a buddy of mine said this one time and I was like, I think this makes so much sense to me. He said, you know, he's like, I think that just the people have the love languages and the way they experience God. But in some sense, when we have those love languages, we tend to only look for those things. Mm -hmm. And then eventually those things run dry. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden we go to a different tradition and we're like, I can't believe I've never experienced this before. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I, I'm, for me, that's why I think actually going to different types of church services is so fundamental for so many people um, to actually experience how God, how people have these different liturgies and how they, they experience God through different liturgies, because oftentimes we think that our approach is the approach, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was just always taught that any litur anything liturgical was vain repetition and, and, and just dead. And, um, and I'm, and, and my thought on that now is like, well, yeah, if you don't know what's going on, yeah, you know, yeah. if you, if you have no understanding of what, is taking place within the liturgy, then yes, it could be a dead ritual and a vain repetition. But if you know what's happening and you're aware of it and you're entering yourself into to it with, with intention to participate in this event, then uh, it can't be dry. You know, even, even if you're, even if it's just like, you know, you're so used to it. If you go there with any kind of awareness at some point, you're going to appreciate what's happening. It's, it's funny because, you know, honeymoon just recently. So it just kind of happened. We were in Rome on Christmas Eve. And so we went to, um, uh, you know, Catholic mass, like, you know, Christmas mass with the Pope. So we went to actual St. Peter's Basilica. We didn't get to go inside, but we were out in the courtyard. Oh, okay. I mean, I wish that would have oh, been okay. insane. That would have uh, been amazing. They, it's like, I learned about the process and trying to figure out, you have to literally write the Pope a letter, ask for tickets you get a letter saying whether or not they received your letter, but they don't tell you whether or not you get tickets and you have to show up on Christmas Eve 
like eight hours before to see if you have tickets. It's wow. a crazy process, but we were just in the, in the square and we were watching everything, you know, on the screens as they are kind of show them out in the square. And there's this point where, where the Pope just moves over to this little baby Jesus in a manger thing and just kisses the feet of Jesus. And mm. I don't know what's going on because he's doing almost everything in Latin. And yes. yet I'm still nearly moved to tears because absolutely like the humbling of like the Pope being the leader of the Catholic church. And so therefore what a billion people, I don't know if it's a billion, but it's a, it's an insane amount. Right. And yet here he is kneeling and kissing the feet of Jesus. That transcends even more, even more beautiful is when he washed the feet of the woman, the female prisoner. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's what someone said, uh, actually, uh, Bishop Barron, Robert Barron, he said, you know, um, it's when they it's when people see the pope doing beauty performing beauty that the attraction of the gospel is is uh awakened and and uh, you know you see that like 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 people when they when that image happened where he's not only breaking protocol and going to a prison to wash feet but he's washing the the feet of a female prisoner it's like this why is everybody so drawn to it and hungry for it because that's yeah. it that's yeah. it, you know, and and we 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 you know the worship of the of the words of things, we forget that you know it, it was a visual and learning uh, uh, discipleship and also a physical participation in the rhythm of the liturgy and all of those things because most people did right. read right. and and you know yeah. what I mean and so you had to find a way to communicate through visions you know through through, the, through uh, in a visual medium the the gospel and 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 you know like if you go I mean when I've been to the Orthodox Church and I go in and I'm like this is really like the communion of the Saints it's like you're really taken up into heaven and heaven is brought down and and the visual nature of it and the participation in it you just kind of go yeah this is why people did this kind of thing with the all of the smells engaging the five senses because most people didn't know how to read right. yeah and they had to experience the gospel in a in a way that was embodied. And you know? music back then was meant to teach doctrine, so people could remember yes. the doctrine. That's right. But then yes. they participated in the doctrine by all the other parts of the liturgy. Right. Exactly. And we almost do it the other way, where you participate in worship, and then have uh, in this kind of singing moment, and then you just sit down and listen. You know, yeah. sit down and listen for an yeah. hour. <laughs> And go and be better like that. (laughs) Exactly. My buddy that I'm meeting with tomorrow, he said, he said, basically, man, because he's, he's in, he was in England. He works with worship leaders and stuff. And, and, um, he said, Mark, because we're talking about like, how do we, how do we get some writers? Cause he wants me to mentor some and, uh, to write about the events in Jesus's life that aren't like always the ones that are talked about in song. And so, we were talking and he said, he said, man, Mark, I'm just so tired of traveling and going to where all I'm experiencing is a really bad rock concert followed by a boring Ted talk. <laughs> oh, it's funny <laughs> and it's sad, but it's true. It's all, I can't, oh no. <laughs> and I, I just thought, man, that is, oh, that's gold. <laughs> and that's, it, the, the sad thing is it's so freaking true. And something that you said when you, earlier on when you were talking about like, you know, this, this process of writing music for money. 
Yeah. Like it was something that I've only ever helped write one worship song that has like been, you know, published and all that kind of stuff. And I was, and, and I probably wasn't asked back for a reason <laughs> uh, yeah. because we got into the room and it was this, it was this thing where it's like, all right, we're not leaving here until we've written a song. And I, already I was like, well, why? Like, mm-hmm. sh- shouldn't yep. this come from a place of like, we hit a moment and then we want to write something down. Um, and, yep. and so we, they started writing and I just kept pushing them towards at that time, I had just read actually Gorman's and inhabiting the Swarm God. So I kept pushing towards this um, laying of ourselves down moment. And it's the funniest thing because like, and I was also really tired of oneness, what I would consider a oneness uh, worship experience where it's just Jesus. And anytime we mention mm-hmm. God, it's actually about Jesus anyways. Um, and the spirit's never mentioned. So even the three verses, there's one verse about God and there's one verse about Jesus and there's one verse about the, uh, the spirit. <laughs> and I don't think they liked the fact that I kept being like, well, guys, theologically, no. Like, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, okay. I, I know. <laughs> I know. And, 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 you know, like, like when, when God of Wonders started, I didn't write the whole, I didn't write the second verse. Uh, but a large a large part of that lyric is taken from the common book of prayer and and um uh i started that song sitting by a lake with with my bible in a very pure place thinking i was done with music and when i came back i just played it for my friend and and um he was like oh man i let me write on some of that and cuz i think i have something and and the truth is is that i have written songs in that way where it's like, let's sit down and write a song and not leave before, you know, until it, until it happens. And I've had other people, when I walk in, they go, man, God gave me this song. And I I just go, well, man, why am I here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What am I going to argue with God? You know, I mean, you know, if God gave me that song and, and, and I've had to be very careful with that and just say, man, either, either God gave you the beginning of this and we need to work on it. Or he gave that to you just to play for your family and your, and your youth group. Um, but but uh, the the guys who I, I mean the people that I've enjoyed writing with the most as far as theology goes are Catholics. I have songs in, in like the Catholic Church that that uh, I've I've just enjoyed um, writing with them because they actually do talk um, theologically yeah. and uh, you know um, and I and I've enjoyed that. But the truth is, man, the songs that that have as far as Christian music goes that have done that 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 performed the best for me, I guess you could say are the ones that really weren't written with that kind of agenda. Um, you know, God of wonders and, and show me your glory by, by third day and, and strong tower by cutlass and beautiful Lord by Leland. Those, those four off the top of my head are songs that I know were written with like started just by myself, you know, and, and, and then, and then it gets, you know, uh, written with Leland. It gets written with the Mark Lee from third day. So you did strong tower with cutlass. Oh gosh. That brought me back to like yeah. 10th grade and being like, I'm so cool. I listen to Cutlass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I wrote that with Mark Lee from third day in, in my, in my, uh, in my breakfast room uh, in the first house that That's we lived crazy. in. And, and, um, you know, they changed one chord in the bridge and wanted 10% for it. And so, 
I, I, I've just always have learned same thing with third day on the show me your glory. They didn't write any of it except for Mark Lee. And it was just me and him. And they wanted 10%. Same thing with Jeremy camp. Those big guys get 10% of something, even if they don't do anything because you just know it's going right. to sell and make right. money. And, and you learn pretty quick. I could either drive around in my car, listen to this and the demo version, or I could just give up 10% and let them have it and all that. And, and just even talking that way for me makes me feel icky and weird because I just don't, I just don't relate with that world anymore at yeah. all. And yeah. um, I enjoy the craft of songwriting. I don't enjoy, like I was literally in a meeting with uh, this, he, he was a, guy from new york and um we're talking about doing some songs based around this jesus movie as he called it um and he said you know we're gonna make the best effing jesus movie that's ever been made you know and you're just sitting there just going what am i doing you know and and it just it just feels bizarre Um, it's i you know i have a couple like one of one of my closest friends He's a big writer now. He does like he, he actually does a lot of stuff in Spanish, oddly enough. So he like translates all the big people stuff into Spanish. He's got his own, you know, music stuff that he does. It's all in Spanish. And even to see the conflict in him where he yeah. is like, I want to make something real, but I also have to pay my bills is insane. Yep. And I and and I hate yep. it for him because he's he travels twenty four seven. He came and he lived with me for four months to try and try and like calm down. Like I was like, all right, just come live with me. You can take my spare room. You'll just, you know, calm down, find community, spend some time. And those four months, like he ended up almost making no, like he still made money on residuals, but like he was like, man, my entire, like, if you don't stay up with this, this, this field of people, then you just immediately become irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that, that's fine. I mean, I'm, I've turned more into a mentor kind of type person whenever I get younger writers that I've talked to or reach out to me. But, um, I, I work so hard to not leave that scene too soon, uh, before hammock really got established to where I could live off of it. Um, because, and my, and my wife, God bless her. She's just not materialistic at all. She's just like, you know what? You're so conflicted. You need to get out. And she told me that probably four years before I finally let go of the publishing deal and, and ended it at the end of 2014 because she couldn't stand to see me be so conflicted. Yeah. And, um, and this is even when I'm in a dark part of my life. And, 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 uh, so I'm conflicted in a lot of ways, but, but, um, you know, to actually pursue hammock once again, it's a thing that I pursued with really pure motives, you know, and, and the same thing about writing some of those songs, it was just, you know, it, it starts with like, it's not an agenda involved. It's just, I, I want to make something, you know, I can't listen to strong tower now, <laughs> but at the time when I wrote yeah. it, yeah. you know, at the time when I wrote it, it was like, I'm, I'm going to try to make something uh, meaningful and, and beautiful for this band. And that's, that's, that's the other thing. The humbling part of making music for the church is that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I want to write a song that's simple enough for the guy who fixes my car Yeah, that can, he can latch onto the melody and sing it, you know? And, and, and that's that check your musical snob at the door and try to have some humility about it. And, but now I can't listen to, to any of it really. Sometimes I can, but, but most of the time I can't. And, um, and, and, and it's amazing how at the time you're so in it that, um, you know, I could not imagine, um, 
being this far removed from it and being absolutely at peace with it. Just so happy and fulfilled. And, and, you know, Andrew and me and Johnny and, and Matt kid and slow metal, we, we, we all make a living yeah. doing this. Yeah. And, 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 and thank God for streaming and Spotify. Our manager got us in that early. And I was just, you know, I was throwing fits because I was used to getting that old radio money, yeah. you know, and I knew what yeah. that looked like. Um, and, and thank God I, I had a good manager because he got us on the ground floor when it was still Merlin Music in the UK and not Spotify yet. And and um, that has opened up, you know, to licensings and film and TV and soundtracks and video games and all this stuff that that uh, that, man, I just I don't have to have that weird conflict of like. How can I make money off Jesus today? Oh, gosh. You and know? that's the thing. You know, I, I wrote this. Well, first off, the licensing. Uh, I, I watched the movie Columbus just because you guys did the music. And the music yeah. is the best part of that movie. It was it was <laughs> yeah. good, but uh, it wasn't my favorite. But um, yeah. but uh, like, I'm, I'm, you know, this is so stupid because it's just this one little song, right? Like, it's this one song that I wrote that I had to start this whole BMI account, do all this kind of stuff for, and the song to this, and the song's been out for two or three years now. And it's been, it's also been translated into Spanish and, and the song still doesn't show up in my BMI account. And maybe it has, I haven't checked for six months, but like I, I got to the point where I was like, what the song is maybe streamed 10 bucks. Like I have no idea how streaming works. It's not my world, but you know, there was that such a drawl of me kind of going like, Oh, this is it. I finally got my name on that song. It's on to the next one that I, I, yeah. as soon as that like thought hit me, I was like, Nope, I don't, I hate this. Like, I don't want this to be anything for me. Um, especially cause after leaving that room that one day I was, I felt so defeated about worship music. I was like, I don't, I don't like being in this room. Like I don't want to be in that room. Um, a- a- absolutely. Writing hymns is a lot more fun if you're theologically inclined than it is writing worship songs that are that are like the more kind of, you know, straight ahead, catchy oh, kind of stuff. I, I you did. Know? I wrote one in a songwriting thing that I was asked to come to. And it was a um, it was a very hymn sounding song about how God suffers with us. No one mm. wanted that. Man, I wrote a song with a guitar player for Cutlass called Tears of God, and nobody wants that either. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've said until I was blue in the face to some of my worship leader friends who write a lot of music, I'm like, look, we need songs of lament. And, yeah. and no one wants to do it because it's not going to make money. They're, I'm like, yeah. they're like, well, that's the thing that you do with your family at home in private. And I'm like, no. The, the people of Israel lamented together. It's called lamentations. Like, <laughs> It, That's right. And when you go to the monastery, man, everybody's singing all the Psalms, every yeah. bit of them, you know, that's, that's the original language. And, and because man. our worship music is so happy and you end leaving feeling good, we never get to actually corporately say things can suck. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. And, and I don't get it. Like, I mean, I do get it. I understand why they won't do it, but I'm just like, I, the one song of lament that I can remember that was kind of a song of lament but kind of not is, uh, you know, John Mark's song, um, how he loves. I don't know. I can't uh, remember. How he loves us song. John Mark McMillan. Oh, 
I probably would recognize I'm it sure if I you heard would. it. Like it was like a huge song. It's the one song of lament that I can remember in the past like fifteen years. And it really is not even so much a lament as it is a repetitious thing of being like, life sucks, God loves me still. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Then I probably have heard it. <laughs> <laughs> but but oh, the only reason why I liked it is because the original version, he talks about how, uh, like the last verse that gets cut out and all the radio plays and all, because it's, of course, just very personal. It's like him talking about his friend who is a worship or a youth pastor who died. Yeah. And... Um, that's the last verse and he's crying. You can't even sing the last verse in the original version. I go, this is a song. This is actually a real song. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know, that's my soapbox. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, I, I just can tell you that, that, um, I go home and, you know, cause I, I do, I mean, I, I, I attend the cathedral, you know, which I drive about 25 minutes to get into Nashville cause we live in Franklin to go to Christ Cathedral Episcopal Church because I love how beautiful the cathedral is. And I love that, you know, it's like where the, you know, the Bishop of Tennessee comes. And so it's, it's high church, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and, and after a few years of doing that, you know, when I go home and, and I sometimes will go to church with here, here, here's where I don't want to sound like what, what a lot of people do. It's like, man, you know, I, I, you know, it just seems so, weird or what you know it's not like not like that it's just it's just i don't i feel disconnected you know and and like i don't relate like i used to because the language is not familiar to me that much anymore to where uh i relate with it and and um it's really hard sometimes to go there and just I used to go there and just be like, Oh my God, what is happening? And now I just go and I just try to see what is good in it and, and experience what, you know, and, and just have an experience and be with my family and all of that. But man, uh, I just, it's so, it's so weird because when they, when they ask me questions too about songs and stuff, I just, I don't even remember now. I don't, I don't even know. And, and, um, and it's not like I did that with intention. Yeah. It just kind of naturally started yeah. happening. You and know? I, I think that I'm finding my way in that now. Like, yeah. And that's why you asked like, what kind of lit- liturgy, like, do I participate? Like in some sense, I almost needed to not in order right. to kind of reset to where I could. Um, oh, I had a therapist that told me, um, he said, you need to stop going to church. And I was going to the same church as him. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And, and I said, I, I said, why? And he said, because it's setting you off. You're, you're, you're just, you're, you know, cause there's a, there's some spiritual abuse and type things in my, in my past. And, and he just said, you mean, you know, just take a break. And, um, it was scary. I mean, but man, honestly, it, it may have been the best thing that could have happened because uh, it's like the Chesterton quote, you know, I I, I needed to experience the, something new, but yet it was the same <laughs> because it became unfamiliar. It, it wasn't like so, uh, you know, like almost muscle memory, like, oh, this is the way we react now. Oh, yeah, this is how. Like I like I had I wasn't worn out by it or tired of it. I had become exhausted with it. And that's my fault, a large part of it. But the familiar breeds contempt. And I do believe that that's true if you don't know how to breathe new life into the things that are familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's more about 
you know, liturgy literally means the work of the people. And man, going to the Orthodox service that, that, that I've been to a couple of times, man, I mean, the guy I go with, he's like, man, this starts the night before. You've got to fast. You got to do this. You don't, you know, when you wake up, you do this. You don't drink water. You don't do anything. And then the first time that you get to drink a liquid is after. Of course, I didn't get to partake. But yeah, yeah. Um, after everyone receives and you go drink coffee in the parish hall. And, and so, so, you know, uh, to get that, that kind of reset and, and to realize that, man, it's an inside job. How I'm showing up is the way I'm going to experience it because I rarely see things the way they are. I see things the way I am, yeah. you know, and, and I experience things the way I am. And so liturgy being the work of the people means that they're assuming you've done the work before you show up so that you're in a, in a, in a stance of, in a posture of openness and humility and participation, you know, and and to not be emotionally wrangled into that place from the outside. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's where theopraxis comes in. And that's for where I grew up, it was just all about you don't need to have a theopraxis if you're just going to church and every time you go, the doors are being blown off and, and people are running around and hooping and hollering and giving prophecy and laying hands and all of the things that happen. You know, um, you just know that that's going to happen. So, hey, I just show up and man, watch this. It's going to get exciting. <laughs> and we're at whereas, whereas liturgy. Liturgy is kind of like, you know, yeah, you're going to show up and it's going to be pretty much the same thing that happened last Sunday. But what have you done as far as your theopraxis, your own practice? Um, how have you made this a path and not just like, you know, a set of beliefs or, 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 or you know, the compartmentalization of this is the part of my life that I'm experiencing now. But no, you've done this preparation and this work so that when you show up, the inside job is done so that what's happening on the outside resonates. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, I really want to keep talking and my wife is like, I know, I know, I gotta like, go where too. are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I got to I got to go. I got a treatment center meeting at six o'clock that I have to go to. Uh, but talk to I would alcoholic. love to, to chat again in the future. Podcast, no podcast. I don't care. Just uh, to chat. It's been very refreshing for me. Yeah, man, me too. And uh, send me an email and about the, the vinyl and, um, you know, if there's any books you remember and, and, Ask me any questions that you want, but if you forget any books or whatever, I'm I I live yeah. for this stuff. Hey, me too. Um, but we'll definitely chat soon. All right, all right, man. Bye. See you.